You're listening to the Pocket Pulpit Podcast with Sarah Kinzer and Hector Martinez, part of the TCD Podcast Network. I want to hear your impression as a young person who has grown up in the digital age, who has never heard the dial-up sound except for as a joke about what's the dial-up sound. To me, the ultimate sign that I have failed is when someone blocks me. When I don't, when I see people gloat about, ooh, so-and-so block me, ha ha To me, that shows that I have failed. I have failed to represent myself as an image bearer and represent and to respect them as an image bearer enough to the fact that they had to literally block me out of their life. And to me, that just shows that I didn't convey my points well, or I didn't communicate with them well, and that they they blocked me. And I, so I hate when people block me. I have failed in my interaction several times with, I mean, I would say on the more left-leaning side, you know, I've seen people say, oh, she's, she's, you know, a fundamentalist. She's condescending. She's, you know, she, she's abusive because she believes X, Y, and Z's doctrines. And I have not always, sometimes I get very defensive about what I believe, right? We all do. And I fail to listen and I fail to be humble and I fail to see the hurt of people who've left the church or they've left such and such doctrine because it's really deeply hurt them. I have failed to listen to them and be humble. On the other side, on the maybe more right-wing theobro, you know, kind of, you know, fundamentalist side or whatever, I've also definitely failed to have patience and to say, you know, it's okay if you don't like me (laughs) or it's okay if you don't like the way that I say things, you know, but that doesn't mean I have to have to like accuse you of being evil or, you know, the boogeyman or something, you know, like there's not one Southern Baptist professor who was responsible personally for the sex abuse scandals that happened, right? Like we can all work together to recognize that there's been systemic failure and personal failure. What's at my, at my core is what Paul wrote in Colossians that you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And if I count myself dead, but hidden in the wounds of Christ, then everything is on the house. And, and I don't, I don't have to take life seriously. I don't have to have it all together. And I can be, you know, people can be wounded, people can be broken, but it, it, it enables, it enables true joy to know that you're hidden with Christ in God. I think every generation from the traditionalists down to our Gen Z and all that, we all have deconstructed at some point. We just, like you said, wouldn't call it deconstructing. I think it's an unraveling. I think that for a lot of us that we would say, yeah, I haven't like burned it to the ground, but I have definitely wandered, wondered and wrestled with my faith, with my uh, belief in the church, maybe even Jesus. And that's what was kind of intriguing to me was that I, when I was really wanting to quit, it wasn't that I was wanting to quit Jesus. I was wanting to unravel and detangle from some of those religious beliefs that had made me have this really gross view of God and grace and salvation, because I was raised in a very traditional environment with the whole 
true love weight and modesty is the hottest or whatever. And so I think that we all need to give each other permission to ask the hard questions without going to this other giant extreme where we just try to like blow the whole thing up and walk away completely. Now, I don't blame some people for walking away completely based off some of the stories that people tell me in the Raised to Stay community. When sexual abuse is involved, when there are things that are traumatic and absolutely sinful coming from the pulpit, I do not blame some people from walking away and blowing it up because honestly, what happened to them was horrendous. And so we have to give people permission to be honest about what happened to them and then not shame them for having this complete radical moment where they have to just walk away and try to figure things out on their own. I really do believe in church planting. I want people to hear me say that. Like, I'm actually really for that work. And I think it's such a noble and like, there's so much honor and grace in someone who takes up that mantle because it is a crap job in the middle of this sort of like socio-religious climate. It really is. It's not an easy job. So I want to acknowledge that. I think the system that I came out of and the network that I came out of is set to fail and they don't know it. They just think it's really cool because it's leading to some growth, but I think it's actually overburdening everyone, even the pastors. And so when the pastors feel overburdened, they start justifying their behavior. Well, to get this thing to happen, I have to start using these people in this way. And that's when things get icky. And then someone, you know, raises their hand and says, you're mistreating me. And he's like, well, my job's really hard. And I'm like, well, the system's broken. Like we need to make the system different to where it's a grace to serve and to acknowledge, like we need rest. We need to acknowledge our limitations. But yes, I do think that there are some adjustments to the machine that we can make to make it less about the machine and more about the relationship. But I will say like, yeah, I think we have our own particular contextual mess right now. And I think it starts with naming it and it starts with like stopping the behavior and the cover-up behaviors. Like we need to start addressing that and just seeing people in their, their belovedness, both those who have been wounded and those who are the perpetrators and the wounders. Everyone is beloved and everyone bears the Imago Day. And I want to be for the healing of everyone. In a denomination that's seeing decline in baptisms and decline in attendance, and we, we haven't quite seen decline in giving yet. We're still we're still on the increase. You don't you don't leave partners behind. Nobody nobody in Baptist life is saying we're gonna leave you behind. But we have a new state director and he's like, he's not afraid to say if you're not on board with protecting the vulnerable, we're not interested in being friends with you and working with you. And where did all that come from? I mean, that's him. That's his, this is his leadership style. But a lot of what my buddy Brad and I have absorbed and learned, and we're, we're picking it up on Twitter and social media and, and, and reaching out to people and, and saying, hey, talk to me more about this. And, uh, and so, so I, think, I think one of the ways that you clean the cup is, 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 particularly in the SBC, is you get super local and you say, you say, hey, let's all clean our cups. And when a bunch of people say, we're cleaning our cups, you, you start talking about it and you talk about the tangible things that you're doing and then other people start talking about it. It, yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, these ideas can spread just like, it's just like me too, you know? Well, um, and you said that 
like you don't think this is gossip if that is gossip that is gossip that needs to spread yeah yeah like that should be that should that's a non-negotiable that should be in the rear view mirror like yeah let's get that done one of the big things that i believe jesus intentionally made vague was the tools that we use jesus said go into all the world make disciples of all nations he didn't tell us how to do it he just told us what the goal was yeah and i believe that there's a lot of tools out there that help us toward that end whether it be a church service or a dm in twitter or um a facebook post a web page, a video. There's a lot of tools at our disposal to make disciples of all nations. As long as we are clear as to what the objective is, I think that is the common ground that all of us should share, regardless of what tool is our favorite. Um, we're all trying to make disciples. And if we can agree on that, then it's like, okay, well, let's, let's use a tool then you know, the Apostle Paul used letter writing. You know, Jesus used parables. You know, he used small groups. He, there's, there's a lot of different tools at our disposal to make that objective be true. Because in my mind, the only thing that matters is doing what Jesus said so that we can all go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so, so it's like, okay, Jesus intentionally made it vague as to the tools, the methods, the expressions, the models. He didn't give any of those things on purpose so that it would be contextualized in every country, every language, every tribe, every technology, every platform. And we just need to, like a missionary, understand the context in which we're dropping into so that we can share the gospel and make disciples. I love wholeheartedly and I, I wasn't personally super surprised that we meshed and gelled so well, so quickly. Um, Like I said, I was maybe a little surprised that there wasn't any levels to it for those of us who've known each other a whole lot. And those of us who haven't, but here's what was surprising is regardless of how you expect or didn't expect us to feel comfortable and feel or not or you know for there to be a presence or a lack of awkwardness the way we were so single-minded about the task at hand to as Rebecca said get our people married (laughs) the fact that there was not a teeny tiny ounce of friction we, you know, huge props to Angelique and Hector and all the work that they did ahead of time. I mean, very much a handmade wedding. But then it has to get put on. And we came together and we threw a wedding in two days. And there was not one single personality clash, there was not one single instance of someone getting irritated with being told what to do or because the job that they had is the job they wanted to do people washed dishes people swept floors 
people did food, people moved chairs, people did everything. And that's an amazing feat for people who have known each other for years and years and years, for there not to be tension or turf war of, no, she asked me to be in charge of this or whatever. Not, not an ounce, not an ounce. It was just, you know, you know, I know Kinzer, I know Kirk. We're here for Hector and Angelique. Maybe I don't know Rebecca that well. Maybe I don't know Irene that well, but I absolutely know and trust that every one of us paid money to fly across the country to be here for our people and to make sure that they get what they want out of this weekend. And that was such a um, united purpose. If I could piggyback on that too, um, I totally agree with that. And I've been, I've been a part of a lot of weddings. I've officiated several, but that I told my wife when I got home, I said that didn't even feel like a wedding. It just felt like a celebration with friends. And, and even the times I've officiated before, and even before this one, I mean, you feel like there's this great pressure to have this, you know, program go just right and all the elements together. And yet I felt none of that. It was just like, we're just together having a great time. We're celebrating this couple. This is so much fun. And there was zero stress, which sounds impossible to say that that it's actually possible for a wedding weekend to have zero stress to it. Um, and again, I think it was that relationship part that made it true. And, you know, what did you say, Jody, about um, you know, people who've known each other a long time putting the wedding together? It's hard. But here's people who, like you say, all flew in and <laughs> drove from different parts of the country. And I think that, you know, that made it so uh, just so special. And I think it also reflects Hector and Angelique and just who they are as well. Um, I mean, that was the that was the best wedding I've ever been a part of. And apologies to my two children who are married and my wife. Uh, <laughs> those are maybe in a different category. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, it's like tears, you this know. Might be, this might be what you need to edit out of an episode of Overtime Actor. <laughs> but it really was. I mean, just, just when it was all finished and done, it was like, this was, this was a celebration. This was, yeah, it was just in its own category. And it was just totally beautiful. And, and I loved it. So I think I, like all of you obviously know this, but I'm going to explain this for people that are listening. Like I've been estranged from my family for a very long time. And I've been estranged from my mom since I was 13. Um, I generally don't get along with women well. Like that's something that the Lord's kind of redeemed the past five or so years of my life. Um, but ever since I was very young, like I had this expectation of like my mom's not going to be at my wedding if I ever get married. And then a few years ago, it kind of came to the same place with my dad. And so it was something that I felt like I had made some peace with of like, I expect this. And also I feel like you can expect something hard all you want and it doesn't necessarily soften the blow. And so like in the weeks leading up to the wedding, there were so many times when like I hugged Hector and I was like, I just wish that my dad was coming. Like I just wish I could look forward to that, you know? And like, it's a it's both the best thing in the world and the hardest thing in the world that like Hector's dad reminds me so much of my dad and all of the fun, good ways that I've missed and like prayed would have redeemed. Right. But it's hard. And so anyway, I think what was surprising to me is that I 
anticipated that being the story of my wedding, of feeling like I would walk away from my wedding and just feel like there was this huge gap that hadn't been filled. And to feel like we had kind of done it on our own and we didn't have people that showed up for us in that way, Um, especially because I just moved to Seattle in August. And so anyway, I think for me, like once everybody was here and we were in the mode, like I didn't have a moment where I wish that things were different. Like I didn't have a moment after we left where I was like, shoot, we forgot about this thing or I wish this had been different or like feeling this ache, you know, like the ache that I expected for like 10 plus years of my life was not there. Um, and there were a lot of things that went into that, like a lot of healing that I've been through with the Lord and different things, but really having all of you here and having you be people who have championed us from the very beginning and been excited for us and been a part of this process, like filled that gap in a really tremendous way. So like, like I remember sitting there while I was getting my makeup done and Jody was steaming my dress and just thinking like, man, like Jody loves me, you know? like just different moments with different people being like man they love me like they're happy to be here with me for my wedding and so I just I think I was surprised how loved I felt and that even that like the trauma and the pain that I expected would block that didn't block it like you guys loved me so much that I couldn't deny it or feel like it wasn't true and that was just really powerful. Because it's not, it's not a fake place. It's a real place. How I engage with my waiter at a restaurant matters. Um, how I engage to the person in front of me that I always pick the slowest person on earth at Target. Um, but how I, how I treat them in those few minutes matters. Just because I don't know them personally or I'm not going to see them again doesn't mean it's not real life. I mean, when you go on vacation, you may be in another state, but how you treat the people around you matters. Um, and so I, I started to realize that I wasn't convinced that I, and I was never like, I don't know, say never, I'm sure you can find a couple of tweets of mine that were a little extra cutting, but my personality was never to go for the jugular. Like it was, it was always this kind of like, you see that you're an idiot, right? Like, you know, but, but I, I, I wanted to make sure that the person that I was being online, it, that's who you are. That's not a persona. Like that's who you are. That's an outflow of who you are. And you're treating real people behind the keyboard that way. Um, and you're just because you can't see their reaction when you type something doesn't mean it didn't affect them. And I saw how I was affected a couple times by sometimes people that I had no clue they were. And to that one, somebody told me, you know, you wouldn't let the drunk guy in the corner that's yelling insults at you affect you. Um, so people that I ha- that have no influence over me, I- I've been able to kind of like. Eh. But there were times that it was people that I, that I thought we were close, or at least I thought that we were developing a relationship. And I realized that the way that I, I was engaged with hurt and I started going, man, this, this guy, this can look different. All right. I, at least I hope it can look different. The turn of phrase in first Peter that really blows. I think it's first Peter that really blows my mind is as long as I am in the tent of this body. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Have you heard yeah. that? I hadn't. That is awesome. So, so he's the phrase is literally the same phrase used to describe tent in the transfiguration story. So what Peter is saying is the lesson of the transfiguration is that we are the bricks and mortar of the house of the Holy Spirit. That is so, so like awesome. as, as long as I am in the tent of this body, 
I will testify what I saw on that mountaintop when what Peter was doing on the mountaintop itself at the time was trap it there. And Jesus was like, no, 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 it doesn't belong here. It belongs out there. So you are that thing. You, the church, are that thing. Which is sort of why I think it, it matters a great deal on an individual level. It matters on a corporate level, and it matters for the world. And in other words, like, we have this sort of disconnect in our gospel that's been kicking around for a long time. Christianity has always flirted with dualism and is constantly corrected on it, but still flirts with it anyway. And... And yet you see in this, this picture of God making persons whole and us whole as a church. And that's sort of why unity has been so important to me, why understanding that Christians have bodies and that's a good thing is important to me. I mean, there's sort of this ways in which like being whole in Christ has such a profound impact from in sort of these rings of concentric circles. The transfiguration is such a beautiful picture of the ways in which we miss it, you know? Thank you so much for listening to this this second uh, highlights clip. Highlights clip. Highlights episode. You know, some people would ask, why why would you put a, a highlight of season one in the middle of season two? And part of it is just continuing to look back and see where God has allowed us to be a part of. Part of it is, to be quite honest, uh, it gives us a buffer time to continue to have conversations with people like those that you've heard uh, and then put them out in a timely manner. And so... Uh, we've enjoyed the conversations we've had and in season two, and we're looking forward to more. Um, but looking back also helps us to see the story that God was writing and, uh, you know, uh, just the way that, that the spirit is moving in online spaces uh, through his people, through God's people. And so uh, looking forward to season two, looking forward to, to more conversations. If you've enjoyed what you've heard and you want to continue to support these conversations, head to our Patreon page, Pocket Pulpit Podcast on Patreon, and uh, support us. Choose what you want to want to contribute there monthly, and um, just know that that helps us to continue to have conversations like these. And if you haven't, go follow the other shows. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll be able to to have some of our friends on this season from the Church Digital Podcast Network. We have an episode recorded with our friend John Pyle of Better on the Inside, and we're so looking forward to releasing that episode. I had an incredible time listening uh, to John talk about his podcast and the journey of getting to that podcast and what what online ministry can help us learn about what it means to yeah what it means to just be faithful to the journey that God's put us on. Thanks, y'all. I'm Hector, and Sarah and I will be back soon. Talk to you later.